Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back to Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in medium-term recovery. <laughs> and my name's Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means for me is I haven't used any illegal substances since August 23rd of 2000. I don't know. I'm sure there's something <laughs> illegal I've done since at some point in time. Uh, so uh, we're on episode 20. That's kind of exciting just because for some reason round numbers that have a zero somewhere in them are really cool or a five sometimes too. I'm not sure what that is with life, but it, it is a thing. And today we're talking about step three, which is super exciting because step three is pretty powerful. Um, and if you've ever worked it, you definitely understand that. Uh, we did not get a whole lot of feedback about what is addiction and where does it come from. I don't know if people thought their opinions were too ludicrous for us or uh, maybe they just, I think they all liked my personal theory. And so <laughs> they just figured there was no point in commenting. Um but we do want to talk about step three. So there's a lot to talk about. It's a great step. Let's jump right into it. So step three, if you've never heard of it, is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And of course, if you are of the N.A. variety, that is we made a decision because <laughs> um, we like to be we. Uh, we're French, I think. Um and so just to break that down, uh, kind of like we did for step two, we want to explain that for people who've maybe never been introduced to the concept of steps or recovery, or maybe never even been introduced to addiction at all, uh, who might not understand it. And so to, it sort of breaks down into little pieces. And the first part is just that we made a decision. And I think for me, that understanding is more about, it's not so much that the decision is the crucial part of it. It's more about the we made the decision, right? Because it talks about in our literature, like nobody made this decision for us because for so long in addiction, uh, the judges were making my choices for me. Uh, people who had power over me in some way, shape or form, anybody who had the money I was trying to scam out of them, like they could get me to do some things and coerce me. So it was very important that I truly made this decision that I wanted something different. What about for you? Yeah, and exactly. That was one of my favorite parts of that was we made the decision. You know, I had been introduced to counseling and therapy, I think, by my mm. parents when I was 15 or 16, you know, trying to quote unquote figure out what was wrong with me. Fix you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then it was the courts and probation and mm. then it was, you know, jail. And, you know, through all those times, any, uh, wanting to get me to stop was was more forced you know i wasn't deciding to do it so it never worked you know for me right. um even being in jail when i was in jail i didn't want to stop i just had to stop because i didn't have a choice but then as soon as i got out or as soon as i had the opportunity to use i went and used again <laughs> right right another thing i've heard mentioned is the idea that the decision implies action right and that we could make a decision in the morning to go to the store and and get a sandwich for lunch 
But if we don't get up off the couch, that decision really meant nothing more than a passing thought that we might have had. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to relate that to maybe, you know, somebody who's never been introduced to recovery and, and doesn't really require it. How would they look at the whole we made a decision idea? Like, how does that apply to someone's life? I guess maybe somebody who, uh, you know, maybe you make a decision that you want to clean your house up this weekend. And then when the weekend comes, you're really tired from work and don't feel like it and you never get around to it. It's kind of like, yeah, that's great. You made the decision. But if your house is just as messy on Monday when you go to work, like what good did it do? Yeah. And you hear it with people, you know, I know like around, say, my work around the office, you hear people talk about it with dieting all the time, too, mm. or eating healthy. You know, they're say, oh, yeah, I really know I need to eat better. And, you know, what I think I'm going to start next month or whatever. And then they don't ever do anything with it. So they might intellectually know that they need to do those right, things. But right. when you don't follow it through with any any action, you know, it really be just comes just a thought. Right. It is. A des- decisions are much easier made in the mind than they are through like something that follows through with doing something. I, you kind of hurt me right there talking about the decision to go <laughs> in some form of diet. Uh, just recently, it's been brought to my attention that that maybe going on a certain form of diet might help um, some of my, my skin inflammation and things like that and and rashes and along those lines and so it's interesting to i'm trying to sort of make some decisions in that area and it's super tough to like make a decision to give up things i like right right now i've managed to give up a lot of the processed sugar uh for the last week which is tough it was easy for a couple days and then it was like fuck them cookies look good right um but i i really do want the benefits of like not having, uh, you know, dermatitis break out on my face. And so it's kind of, it's like, man, if this can help, I at least want to try it. But it is hard to do in action um, as opposed to just making that decision in my head. Uh, so the next section of it would be to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And that's a, that's an interesting section. So, I, you know, I'm sure, I think we even talked about it on here at one point, how some people say our will is one thing and our lives is something else. Like our, our will is our thoughts and our lives is our actions or, or something along those lines. I've never really differentiated for, for my recovery, the difference between them. I don't know that it, you have to, but I think the idea that I get out of this uh, really is more to the part of over to the care of God right? I'm not turning my will and my life over to God. It's not like I need to move to Tibet and shave my head and and (laughs) never talk to people again. Like, that's not my goal. It's not, oh, God runs my life now. It's just allowing something to care for me, right? I I spent so long thinking I wasn't worth care and and just hating myself and treating myself accordingly, right? Putting poison in my my body daily. Um, And so the idea of just let me let something care for me, Yeah, I'll try to make some good decisions, but even when I don't, let me just let this thing show up and like kind of give me a hug, this power and and be with me no matter what. Yeah. And that was a big part of trying to understand that uh, care of for me in the beginning was looking at it as like a parent with a child. Like that was kind of how I got early uh, what I would call understandings of like God in general, because again, I was raised Catholic. And what I knew of God was I was this terrible person that had done all this wrong. So, you know, God didn't love me. I was going to hell. You know, that was sort of my upbringing. And so getting past all that to develop some new um, 
new understandings to kind of let go of some of that old stuff. Um, you know, it was easier for me to kind of look at God as, as being a parent, you know, a good parent and anyway, right. not a shitty parent, <laughs> a good parent that, you know, was, was providing for the needs to try to give you the best life available. Like that was an easy understanding of that for me in the beginning. Yeah. I think maybe, uh, maybe for an earthling, that would be just allowing yourself to be human really is, I think a really good understanding of that portion for me. It's like, look, man, mistakes are not that big a deal. I don't need to berate myself over it. I can just allow myself to be human and, and, and know that I'm trying hard and, Kind of like you said, like a really good parent, you know, if you make a mistake, they don't scold you. They say, hey, okay, well, what'd you learn from that? Right. Like, hey, maybe we can do it next time, but be easy on yourself as we do it. Yeah. And and from using and and that lifestyle and all the sort of things that come along with that, the, uh, you know, all the lying and the crime Mm. and the stealing from people that you love and, and, you know, because when you're doing those things, like I loved my family. I really did. I loved mm. my parents. I loved my brother and sister. Um, but I still stole from them. I still lied mm-hmm. to them. I still did what I had to do to get my own. And when you're caught up in the grips and doing those things, it's it's not like you, at least for me personally, it's not like I did those things and was just okay with it. Like I still felt like a piece of shit. Right. Like I still felt like a bad person. It's just I was so overwhelmed with the drive and compulsion to use that I just, you know, it was like, fuck, I got to do it, you know, and I know I shouldn't and I feel bad about it, but I'm sorry, I'll make it up to you later. And then I right. would do it, right. you know, so when I got clean, um, I really did feel like a worthless piece of shit. Hmm. You know, I did not feel like someone who was deserving of God's love and mercy. You know, that was a foreign concept. No, absolutely. Uh, and it and it kind of talks about something along those lines in the in the basic text. It says, uh, I, don't, I can't remember quite how it puts it, but basically that like at some point the time comes when we no longer had a choice. We had to use. Right. And really what it's almost the opposite of this step. I had turned my will in my life over to drugs like that that had complete control of me. And like you said, it wasn't that I didn't care about people or, or want to do the right thing. Every time I finally got to a place of comfort with drugs, right? Like I had used enough that day where I was okay. My first thought was I'm going to get my shit together tomorrow and make this up to all the people I've hurt, right? It was just that when the time came that I was actually not okay and didn't have drugs and and I needed to get them to be okay again, that thought went out the window because my life was in the hands of drugs at that point. So this is like the anti uh step for that like i need to turn my will and my life over to something that's helpful for me and not just taking me downhill yeah and for me using you know towards the end was just like i had no long-term plan of ever getting better like i never thought i would stop using i just thought i would use until i died is more or less what happened i thought well i'll be dead by the age of 25 you know that's what's that's just what's happening to the people around me that's what's going on and that's where I'm going to be. So, you know, I really wasn't too concerned with, with getting better later or what was going to happen (laughs) later in my life. It was just survival for that day to get to the next day to get high again. And then, you know, eventually it's going to end, you know, through jails, institutions or death. You know, those concepts have been introduced to me 
early on when I was, I think, 17, I ended up in my first treatment center. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of resigned to that's what was going to happen to me. <laughs> right, right. And so, and, you know, you keep saying stuff, and I hate to keep just bringing up literature stuff, but it, it does bring it up for me. It says, we were trapped by our need for instant gratification. And that's what you just reminded me of. Like, I couldn't focus on what might be the consequence later. I needed to fix this now and make myself feel better. And I, I think that kind of ties into the turning my will and my life over to the care of God is that I'm turning over the idea that, okay, hey, maybe whatever I'm going through now doesn't feel good, right? But I'm going to trust the fact that if I just sit here and allow you to care for me, this will get better somehow without me having to go seek these instant gratification moments. And I think that might apply for like a, a, a person who doesn't struggle with drug addiction in the sense that we, we, you know, we seek companionship when we get out of relationships that hurt or when someone leaves us, we immediately seek a new partner or even just a sexual partner to kind of change the way we feel immediately. Or, or there's the old cliche of like, going out and getting drunk when you're hurt uh, over a, you know, a romantic breakup, or I'm trying to find things that people could relate to that might also stimulate this instant gratification instead of waiting for like the feelings to pass and, and be cared for. Yeah. And I tend to think, and this is, I don't know, cause I'm not an earth person, but I tend to think earth people kind of already, you know, sort of, feel there's a greater power, greater purpose out there in their lives, you know, that there is a power greater than them that's caring for them. I mean, and I mean, that was a weird way to say that. (laughs) What I mean is, you know, I would say a normal person, like they go through a breakup or whatever, and maybe they do go out and have a one night stand, but that doesn't turn into like a sex addiction where they're, you know, doing all these things or, or they find some way to, to like a shopping thing like oh i had a bad day Mm. i'm gonna go out and buy myself some things and they buy themselves some things and they get that little fix but then they they get over it they're able to to kind of move on and and not be stuck there and as addicts we seem to get stuck in that instant gratification piece you know Mm. we have no trust that it's going to get better or that if we just leave it alone, that time will heal these wounds or that a power greater than us will come in and restore us to sanity. Like right. we, we miss those concepts and it's just all about how we feel right this moment and fixing that. So interestingly enough, uh, shocking to everyone, I'm sure I would completely disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so I do think in, in the sense that um, people who use retail therapy, as they call it, to make it nice and pretty and package it up as if it's a positive thing, right? Or, or people who do the one night stands or, or consecutive short term relationships, um, I do think their consequences are much less than the than maybe the sex addict or the drug addict or, or the gambling addict. Like maybe their ends and their bottoms aren't as low, but I don't I don't necessarily think they're like trusting that this process is going to work itself out. I think they're consistently doing these things that are putting them in bad situations, whether that's living in a an amount of debt that's just not healthy to live in regularly or that they, if they had the choice would not live in that debt, but yet they continually do these little purchases here, there and everywhere to feel better. So they end up in that debt, whether they want to be there or not, or the person who continuously is in the three to six to one month or one year relationships who it just keeps not working out. Like I get the feeling that they probably 
don't want that, but they feel powerless over the choice to make a different decision. And so that that's my take on it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they, they are getting healthier, but I just see people living the same life day in and day out and not really counting on some higher power to take care of it. They're trying to have some control over making it feel better regularly. Yeah, maybe I should have said that in the way of there are healthy, healthy ways to... It's not necessarily so terrible if you have a bad day and you go out and buy yourself a new pair of shoes or a new jacket. Like that action in and of itself isn't a horrible thing. Right. You know, trying to sort of get through a tough time by rewarding yourself with whatever, some sex or some, right. you know, a retail thing in and of itself isn't a horrible thing um, that I would say there are normal earth people that would do those behaviors and not wreck their life or cause a lot of damage by that. Right. But then yeah. people can take them to extreme. I mean, anybody can take them to extremes or. I think I'm just bitter that anybody would ever think they might be better than me. <laughs> Maybe that's my issue. I don't know. It just all sounds to me. It all sounds like the whole uh, alcohol, big alcohol phrase, drink responsibly, right? Yeah. Like you're still throwing drink out. there as the first verb in the sentence, right? It's like shop responsibly, right? Like, I don't know that that is a thing. I think once you start doing it, you're maybe it's not as bad as, mm. but I don't consider it to be healthy regardless. I just, yeah. it might not be as bad. I don't know. I think it can be healthy. Think I think so? there are ways to, yeah. Oh yeah. People know. that have a glass or two of wine, don't they say that's healthy for you anyway to have like that's a glass a, of wine a day no, or something like that's that? That's actually a really fake ass fucking big alcohol oh, yeah? paid for study. <laughs> that's not true at all, honestly. That was supposed to be good for your heart or your blood or something. No, no. Basically, they just found out that it, it doesn't kill you if you do one or two a day. And oh, so they're like, oh, great. Yeah, it's good for you. And they <laughs> threw some bullshit out there. It's really I mean, sketchy. Technically, it is poison. So you would think taking yeah. take any kind of poison can't be good. Right, right. It's, it's some pretty sketchy stuff once you really look into that. It was, it was kind of messed up. Um, but anyway, I digress. So the last part of the step is as we understood him. And I don't think this is a, a very confusing part. I think this is literally thrown in there just to allow for us all to have our own understanding of a higher power. I don't yeah. think there's any confusing part. It's not tricky. It's just, Hey, look, we're not going to force any type of God on you. We need to make sure we throw this in the steps so we don't throw our Christianity and Jesus at you <laughs> right. uh, and make you conform like you're open to find your own power. Right. Yeah, uh, I don't. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty open. Right. <laughs> so I wonder, do you think uh, maybe Earth people feel as free to find their own higher power? I would kind of was just, you know, letting my mind wander on that idea. I think people probably feel maybe even subconsciously the draw that they must conform to whatever it is that's around them. Right. Like that's generally what we do as we're growing up. Oh, well, everybody's wearing, you know, tight pants. Now we got to all wear tight pants or everybody's wearing baggy clothes. Now we all got to wear baggy clothes. So we do just tend to conform to whatever's going on. I notice I look at my daughters and like their generation is the generation that just likes the shit that no other generation has ever liked, right? <laughs> right. Like they're like, oh my God, mullets right. are so hot. I'm like, really? Everybody has thought mullets fucking sucked from the yeah. beginning of time. <laughs> my daughters, they both want Crocs, right? They both have pairs of Crocs. I had a pair of Crocs like 10 years ago and they, everybody has always thought Crocs were fucking disgusting and now <laughs> they're in, right? So I think we just tend to buy into whatever everybody else is doing. And through that, I think people probably feel pressured to, to do 
Jesus, uh, Christian God, whatever you want to call it, you know, wear a cross around your neck. Like, I, I think this is generally subconsciously the peer pressure of you need to believe in this God. And if you don't, something's weird about you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, you know, what we get as a result of that is all your, you know, quote unquote, Sunday Christians who are, you know, they go to church every Sunday, but then when they go out and live their lives, none of that means much to them. It's right. it doesn't, it's not, when you look at how they live, their morals and values or the decisions they make don't seem to be in line with what you typically see of what would be considered Christian values, you know? Right. And just to clarify here, we're not talking about most Christians or all Christians by any means. This is just, there is a variety of people who they believe that church is the part of Christianity they need to adhere to. And the, the whole, maybe how they live throughout the week, isn't the part that they're adhering to. Um, right. And there can be, you know, there's plenty of, of very, uh, what I would call like dedicated and committed Christians who do live by these values. But we also all know the ones that right, know, right. dress up for church Sunday to make the, you know, to make the show of it, that they're doing the right things. And then, you know, the rest of their life. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to branch too far off the step three into this, but I, it does, it does sit wrong with me. Uh, the, it seems like the entire point of Christianity when I was a part of it was like, we need to be loving and accepting of all. Right. And yet at every turn, I feel like I see Christianity in the media or, or, or just in the world. Uh, well, yeah, we're accepting and, and tolerant and loving of all, but we don't like gay people. Right. Yeah. You can't actually come to our church. There's something wrong with you. And then, I, you know, even at a more global scale, hey, we're accepting, loving, and tolerant of all because we're Christians and we're good at that. And But you know what? You fucking people who aren't American, you just stay out of our country because there's something wrong with you too, right? And it, I, I just, I don't know. It makes me angry for one, but it really also <laughs> blows my mind. Like the whole point of this was loving tolerance of everyone. How are we discriminating against all these different people in the name of Christianity? Yeah. And it's so weird. You know, I think of this a lot. Like we are, you know, I wouldn't say in the Bible belt for sure, but we are definitely in white middle-class Christianville, you know, yeah. <laughs> here in Cecil County. Like I don't, I don't even think maybe there's a synagogue in Cecil County. I don't even know if there is. There's uh -huh. definitely not a mosque, oh, <laughs> like, no you know, and it have blown that shit up. I yeah. Know. But there is a church on every other corner from every different denomination, oh, sect, yeah. religion, right next to the bar. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so there isn't a lot of outside influence other than Christianity, you know, and that, like it or not, you know, works its way down into the school system and the, yeah. you know, subsystems of government and, and, you know, because that's the prevailing ideology. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I think this is a good point since we're kind of done wrapping up to finding the step, which again, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Um, and I'm sure plenty of people would argue about the him in there. Uh, I don't think it needs to be him. It could be them. Uh, it just probably was convenient at the time it was written in the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, that was probably pretty fitting. And that's actually what I heard why they used the word God in the first place was it was just a convenient word that kind of fit, you know, a right. the idea of a higher power or a, a 
power greater than ourselves and they didn't like to repeat the same words in the steps so they just used god because it seemed to fit pretty well <laughs> yeah I, I think it does fit well i i kind of struggle with that too because i feel like whenever i say the word god people picture jesus and that's mm. really not my intention uh, at all but it's one syllable versus you know four right. higher powers four syllables and i'm lazy in my speech so yeah and as you said this was written in the 30s so yeah, hold I don't know what world. our worldly <laughs> right, right. influence of outside religions was at that time in the United States in the 1930s. <laughs> right. Well, and I'm glad you said 19 because I was just thinking if people listen to this 12 years from now, we're definitely talking about the 1930s, not the 2030s, mm -hmm. which we're only holy shit, only 10 years away from. Uh, but yeah, so here's a good time to take a break. You can listen to our voices ad voices. You know, we do love those people. They're close to near and dear to our hearts. They help people in the local community. Uh, so you can listen to our ad, and then we'll be right back with the rest of this. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Welcome back. Uh, so we, we put the third step <clears throat> on our social media and, and, you know, allowed the interweb to have their say and input into any good insight into the third step. And so we're going to share some of that with you. Um, one of the first things we got off of Twitter, Brittany said, I love step three. My biggest hurdle here was finding the willingness to surrender my need to have control in life. But it became easier after two things. One, I realized I had already done this before. I surrendered my will in life to drugs a long time ago. Two, uh, it didn't matter how much I wanted to be in control. I never would be. Once I realized that, allowing the universe to take care of keeping balance was simple. Uh, and I would say that's that's pretty accurate. Like it, There is some hurdles to what do I control? And, and in working the step, that's one of the things I found is that some areas were easier to let go than others. Like some areas, either A, where things were going well, and I had the illusion of the fact that I was letting it go, <laughs> or just some areas that maybe weren't as important to me or, or didn't carry as much weight or that I had already realized my powerlessness in. Um, like it was easy to turn over the fact that, hey, I can't use drugs successfully. That's just not fucking working, right? Did I want to turn over the fact that God would present me with the correct romantic partner at that point in time, which was like hugely important for my life for whatever reason, had a lot of power over me? No, God wasn't having that shit. I was going to find the right partner for me, and I was going to figure out how to work the relationship and make it go and keep going. So it was tough until I saw the futility of my efforts, right? When I saw that what my attempts at control were actually just an illusion, and I really had no fucking control was when I was able to let go and surrender. Yeah, and for me early on in the steps, you know, my first 
round through the steps. I didn't know what God was or what that even meant for me. And, you know, my sponsor said that was okay. You know, that I didn't need to know what God's will was at the moment. I was really just making a decision to try something different other than my will, you know, Mm -hmm. and that building off that first two steps, you know, that, that, you know, because I'm an addict, I don't make good decisions for myself. And as long as I keep trying to run the show myself, I'm going to be in trouble. And so if I look for powers outside of myself that are greater than me, that can guide me and, and give me some direction and insight into life, that my life can get better. And then step three is going, and I'm going to decide to let go of my self-will and, you know, try to practice something different in place of what I've always done in the past, you know, to try to try to just do something a little bit different. And early on, you know, that God was exactly the good orderly direction that they talk about. It was a few basic things. Well, I would think God doesn't want me to use drugs. You know, I would think God uh, wants me to stay in this process of recovery. Um, You know, and there was just some real basic, simple things. Mm -hmm. I I really didn't overcomplicate it with what I need to be doing for a job and where I need to live and who I need to pick as a sponsor. Like none of that. I didn't try to overcomplicate it with those decisions. God requires me on the third Sunday of every blood moon to make a blood sacrifice in my backyard yeah. involving a golden knife. And, <laughs> right. and, no, and I, I will you. say like that, that freedom to not have to decide what God was at that time has allowed me to continue to explore different gods and understandings of higher power throughout my recovery. You know, early on, it led me to church and I went to Christian based church and did that for a number of years and, and really uh, gave myself the freedom to let go of a lot of the, what I'll call the misconceptions that I had being raised as a Catholic, you know? Right. So I was lucky to have a sponsor that, that didn't hold me to some understanding of God. That is very helpful. Uh, So the next part was serenity press which i i I guess maybe they do a website about addiction and i kind of feel bad at this point for not knowing i should probably know more about them but they they related a story uh a very short story that i've loved and i had forgotten about um three frogs were sitting on a log and one of them decided to jump off how many frogs are left on the log and of course the answer is three because the third frog that made the decision to jump didn't actually do anything Right. Which I think is just an incredibly important story. It's a kind of fun little joke about it. Uh, And so we we ended up there's another uh, gentleman later on uh, and Mark off of Facebook said that, you know, we should look up the word decision. It means action is required with commitment. Uh, It means when you think about doing the wrong thing and you know it you're doing your will, not God's. And so just to, you know, we did actually look it up. We took that suggestion. And unfortunately, that's that's really not the definition of decision. A decision, according to good old Google, the first definition is a conclusion or resolution reached after consideration. And so by definition, the third frog did make a decision, right? It's just that for our process in this third step, it wasn't a very useful decision if we don't do anything to back it up, right? There's still the three frogs on the log. And I just think that's a good way of looking at it. When I make a decision, then what? Okay, great. I've made that. Now what am I going to do with it? Right. And that's the way the step process, I believe, is designed. You know, each step is a is a baby step. You know what I mean? It's, right. a, it's a micro step, you know, right. towards the end goal. And we don't end at three. You know what I mean? We make the decision 
And then if we want to continue and and make that decision of any value or to be a meaningful decision, we follow it up with steps four through 12. You know, we don't just stop at making the decision. I will for now on refer to Narcotics Anonymous as the 12 baby step program. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's, you know, if you dumped all this on someone all at once, you know, it would be a hard struggle. Like, hey, you don't know what you're doing with your life and you better just turn it over to God. Like, I hate to say, but that sounds too much like church. You know, like I went to church and heard that shit all the time. Right. You know? Just turn it over to Jesus and he's going to fix it all for you. Right. And it didn't work. You know, I went and sincerely prayed for that to happen at times. And that didn't work for me. I'm sure it's worked for some people. I think for me, there was no explanation of the process. Like, what what the fuck do you mean? Right. Right. So I was like, I went in. I'm like, cool. It's yours, Jesus. I'm done. (laughs) Right. It's fixed. Uh, But then I never understood what else to do. after. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think this kind of not that that couldn't work. It's just that I needed this broken down baby step process to yeah. allow me to understand it and follow it. Uh, so then we come to May Day. We're still on Twitter. And this one is very poetic sounding, but I, I didn't completely grasp all of it. But it says, all by himself and in the light of his own circumstances, he needs to develop the quality of willingness. Uh, spend your energy focusing on correct use of will. Stop the debate about the practice of principles or gods or any other obstacle. Stop finding no and lean in. And so I guess what I take out of that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of me, um, per, you know, continuing on this path. I can say, oh, uh, it's, I don't believe in a Christian God and that's what everybody in my home group believes in. So I don't want to keep going or you know, I, I don't know about this principle. It might not fit in this area or what principle should I apply here? Or There's a whole lot of debates we can have that hold us up from just allowing this to be, just allowing life to be what it is, right? We can fight things along the way. And that's kind of what I take out of that. Just stop trying to fight it and sort of lean into the process of it all. Yeah, I, I was a little confused by that, too. I didn't quite understand. Um I mean, for me, willingness is one of those spiritual principles that, you know, it's introduced to me first in the beginning and it's, you know, it, it grows in meaning over time. Um, I don't know that. And I guess that is how you develop it. You know what I mean? You learn about, all right. So in the beginning, well, I'll stop using drugs and maybe I'll go to these meetings. I'm willing to do those things, you know, but if you'd asked me at that time, whether I was willing to meditate every day or, you know be of service to other people. I probably wasn't, you right. know, like oh, no. I wasn't, I couldn't even take care of myself, let alone go help other people or, you know, <laughs> early on, I wasn't even people. willing to go to work. Those <laughs> right. days. So, Fairly. you know, we develop this willingness over time and understanding. Absolutely. Uh, and it kind of reminded me a little bit for Robin on Facebook said, I live step three by doing the next right thing, no matter how I'm feeling. I go to a meeting, pray, do service, write steps and connect. I was told my character is not defined by my feelings or thoughts. My character is defined by my behavior. Step three, I do it. Suit up and show up no matter what. And that kind of reminds me of willingness. And it's, I mean, it's definitely easier said than done, right? And and I think you're right. It comes in stages. And I think all of these spiritual principles are probably on a spectrum of like my ability to practice them in any given situation at any time. Um, I don't know. I guess it does bring up a debate, though. Can we do something we're incapable of doing, right? Can I just show up and suit up no matter what? 
if I'm just not able to? Like, is that even possible? That's a, I think that's one of the age-old debates of like, can you get clean before you're ready? Or who gets you clean? Is it you're finally done using and tired of consequences? Or there is a spiritual power that does it? Or what happens there? Yeah, and in this step, you know, it really is just making a decision. It doesn't say we started following God's will and, you know, turned our will in lives. We just made a decision. Like, until we come to develop a relationship with some of these principles um, and learn things like, okay, what are, like, I didn't know what my character defects were when I worked step three. So how was I supposed to know what the spiritual principles to counteract those character defects even Mm. were like none of those concepts even existed in my life when I worked step three, you know, it wasn't until later on, all I had done at that point was said, all right, I'm going to continue in this process. I'm going to keep working on myself. I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to show up um, and, and try to do my part. And then, you know, later on, now I can have a deeper understanding of step three to know, you know, how to not act on my character defects. Now, I feel like today, you know, sometimes I get to make choices between acting on a character defect and acting in God's will. Um, but early in recovery, I didn't understand any of that. Right, <laughs> right. I was just here. <laughs> yeah. And I think most of that comes with actually an 11th step. You know, it's it's even after working through six and seven and learning all my defects and all that stuff. It's not until I develop that relationship with a higher power, figure out how that power works in my life and how to utilize it to the best of my ability. You know, then I'm in a position to start to make decisions on whether I act on character defects or not. Right. I think we were supposed to say spoiler alert before we talked about it. Oh, yeah. but, <laughs> no, definitely. I when I worked three, I was confused for sure. Uh, it felt like what 11 says was supposed right. to happen in three for sure. I'm like, Oh, I'm turning my will and my life over. Right. And now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to well be the spiritual priest. person, right? <laughs> right. Everything's going to be great. I'm going to be good all the time. I'm going to be, yeah. Know. I just assume my whole life was from now on going to be dedicated to positivity and helping people and not being about me. And so in that I might as well just be one of the clergy for some religion somewhere, because that's, my fucking purpose anymore. Yeah. And this belief that if I just, you know, quote unquote, turned it over, that it was supposed to just go away or resolve itself. Right. Or, or the solution was just supposed to come out of magical thin air, you right. know, because God was taking care of it. Now that's the way that works. I give it to God. He fixes it. Right. right. That's the way it's supposed to work. Fun and unfortunately, of- it didn't work that way right, for me. Right. It no, really it didn't. <laughs> and it didn't work for me that way early on either. And I, the way I would have pictured that then of like, you know, the magical answer actually literally appearing and materializing in my hands and fixing my life to whatever I thought that meant at the time never happened. (laughs) But God mysteriously magically fixing my life the way I see it now is exactly what happens. Right. So it's kind (laughs) of interesting in that dynamic. Yeah. Um, So next we had uh, Kim who said, my higher power is my friends. The old God speaks through those that know and love me type of thing. So step three for me is to pay attention to what my friends say and try to do what they say, especially when I don't want to. And I've always found this to be really, really interesting, right? Because I'm a guy who uh, ego has run my life at times. And I've struggled to think that other people could possibly think as greatly as me. <laughs> and I'm like... 
I don't give a fuck that the three people who have no vested interest in this, except that they love and care for me, think I should do this. I'm definitely doing the opposite, right? Because I am obviously smarter than that. And that has never gotten me anywhere, of course. Uh, And it's just so interesting to realize that it's kind of like the concept of we can solve everyone else's problems, but our life's a wreck, right? We can solve other people's problems because we have no emotional attachment to the outcomes or or wants in their life, except that we love them and care for them. Look, this is what's best for you. It's obvious and easy to see from our view. The reason I can't solve my own is because I'm emotionally invested in what I want. And that becomes my problem. So generally, yeah, if two or three of my close friends that love and care for me say something's a bad idea, I really need to take some heed and listen to that because it's probably a really terrible fucking idea. Right. And, and with that advice, you know, what I learned through recovery was I should be looking to people that have the things I want in their life, you know, for the advice on the things that I'm trying to work on, you know, Mm. for example, and, and maybe this is wrong to say, but you know, I don't want to go to the guy who's been divorced five times to ask him about how to work things out in my marriage. Like, maybe that's not the best source of information. For I don't know. He's Possibly. got well, five times the wrong information. I, yeah, I was going to say, and I, I knew that was a touchy one because he may have some useful yeah. stuff. But Here's what not to do. I've done these things. Right, I've these done these five things ways didn't, didn't work. work. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's the point of, you know, if you're going to meetings and and you hear a lot of different opinions about a lot of different things from a lot of different people, including mine, which may not be right for you in your life. (laughs) You know, that I have to develop a network of people that I trust and that I believe have my best interest at heart. And even then they might possibly be wrong, but you know, that, that I'm willing to listen to other people and consider ideas outside myself. Right. Because it's always, for me, like, I think my ideas are great and my ideas <laughs> might get me what I want, but I tend to have tunnel vision and not be able to see the big picture or the outside consequences or, you know, another aspect of that decision that I wasn't looking at. No, absolutely. I think you you touched on something. One of the old sayings I used to love that I don't ever hear anymore is that uh, working my program will get you high. Right. right. Like the whole idea that what I do is right for me and I've been able to live with it and, and work through it in that way. But that definitely is not right for everybody. And other people would probably not stay clean trying to work the way I do. They need other things to make their recovery work. And it's interesting that that used to be such a, a widely spoken uh, principle or, or, or cliche, so to speak. And then today we have such a debate over whether we have a monopoly on the way to recover or not. And there's maybe these other recovery modalities out there that like, you know, yeah, maybe their method of recovery would get us high, but maybe ours would get them high too. Right. Right. And maybe we need all these different modes to, to work on. I guess it just felt more open and accepting back then and not so much now. Yeah. And I, I don't actually remember hearing that a lot. In fact, early in recovery, I was the other way around. I was like, well, if you do what I do, you'll get what I get. Uh, you know, I really strongly held that. Right. And I don't anymore. You know what I mean? I did some things in early recovery that maybe wouldn't work for other people or that maybe weren't even the best advice for me at the time. I stayed clean through it, but it doesn't mean I made my life easier or better, you know, right. maybe created some struggles I didn't need to have. <laughs> right, right. No, but I, I, so going back to the part you said about um, 
you know, getting a sponsor who has what you want, basically, to, to try to get the suggestions of how to get there where they did. They talked about that a lot, too, where I got clean at it. And it was like, look, if all you want is a, a you know, an expensive car and, a, and three girlfriends and a nice, you know, uh, wardrobe, find the guy who's got that because right. he's in the meetings, too. Right. <laughs> right. Like and, and it's an interesting concept. I, I unfortunately think some of us probably took that too literally at points in time. <laughs> I think it was kind of a joke about, like, find somebody who has what you want. But. Uh, maybe that did keep some people clean until they got to the steps. I don't know. Yeah. But definitely for me, like early on that concept of like my higher power working through other people and God working through other people was a huge thing for me. Like I thought that was a really important piece that I needed. Yeah, I definitely, I am with you on that. Um, just the idea that we would, for me, I mean, I even say we, for me, I would pray about situations that I didn't have the solutions to, and I wanted answers about, and I would go talk to people and randomly without them even knowing the situation I was in would somehow give me exactly what I needed to hear that led me where I needed to go. And it was just like, this is too much to be coincidence for me at times, yeah. right? Like this power, whatever this fucking power is, it's working. Even if it's just the power that I believe in, it, it's working. Or you show up at the meeting and someone shares about it that you don't even know. Oh, you yeah, know? absolutely. Like, Every like, time I'm on. exactly what I needed to hear. Like, <laughs> right when I'm on, right in step <laughs> right. three, I go to eight step three meetings. Right. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, so moving over to Facebook. Um we had Lee who responded and, and so some of these Facebook ones, it was interesting to see the dynamics. Twitter was very like kind of in line with one theory about step three. And then Facebook seemed to be aligned with this other theory that Lee started off. Uh, he said, I was taught that the third step was the beginning of me taking responsibility for my recovery and that turn that the turning over process is not me giving it to God but applying spiritual principles to the areas where defects exist. And I, I know you kind of already said something a little contrary to that earlier on in this episode, but what I found so interesting about this was that many people on Facebook followed in Lee's opinion uh, of the sense that step three really was not so much about a higher power or God. And I just found that kind of mind blowing, right? Not that I don't think there's an aspect of something we need to do in the step, but the step really kind of says made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, we sort of think a lot about God in, in step three, right? But really, maybe the emphasis could be clearly on the fact that we are making this decision and what does that mean for us? And, and like Lee's pointing out, it wasn't about God doing something magical in his life. It, this step was about, hey, I need to apply spiritual principles, right? I need to do something. I need to take responsibility for my recovery. I need to show up and do the work. Yeah, this step three allows me to let the outcomes be God's, but I need to show up and do the work in the process. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. I uh, If I said something contradictory to that, I didn't mean to. Oh, just I, the uh, defects part where you didn't know what your defects were in step three and all that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but I agree actually a lot with that, that idea, what he's saying there and that whole concept. And for me, what it meant was you know, I'm really just going to trust that my way doesn't work in dealing with life, that I'm going to look for other solutions to life versus what I want to do. And like say early on, I didn't know what my defects were, but you know, there was some obvious uh, self-centered behaviors that I knew were not working very well for me Right, right. <laughs> at that point in my life. Um, and it is about, you know, it is, when I hear that step, I do think it's way more about me taking responsibility for my recovery. Right. Um, it's, it's not, 
I'm not asking God to do something for me. I'm saying I'm going to do something for myself. Right. And so I think one of the things it reminds me of, and maybe this really would have fit better early on when we were defining it, is that the third step isn't turning everything I do over to God as in I need to do God's will all day long every day, right? Right. It's turning over whatever happens and the outcome to God. Let me just show up and do my best in this situation. And then however the fuck it turns out, it turns out. If I show up for the job interview and I'm dressed and shaved and I present myself nicely and I don't get the job, that's what the fuck was meant to be, right? right? It's not about the outcome anymore. It's just about let me do my part. And I think that is a crucial part of step three. And I was glad for Lee and a couple other people who mentioned that it's, and and here's what I, so just uh, to be a little clear, Lee is an old buddy of mine and I messaged him, um, on messenger after he posted this. Cause I was just curious and I, I thought I knew, and I was like, Lee, you are like pretty strong in your belief in a God. Right. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, I thought so. But it's interesting that anytime I hear Lee talk about steps, uh, we used to be in a home group that was a step meeting. And so I got to hear him, you know, talk about it quite frequently. He generally puts the step in terms of you would never have to believe in a God in order to work it the way he gives an understanding of it. And I just think that's kind of beautiful because many people early on still resent God and don't have one like you were mentioning. You didn't know what the fuck God was in step three. And I just think it's super useful for anybody that's not ready to accept God. It's like, oh, well, his understanding of the step really didn't involve God at all. It was just about what I could do. And I, I love that he does that. It almost makes recovery more accessible for a lot of people. Yeah. And the way, you know, again, what I heard early on was worry about you. You'll figure out what God is by the time you get to step 11. That's when you really start needing to figure out, you know, in 11 and 12, you can develop that relationship with God and you can really start figuring out what God is for you. So just worry about getting there right now, you know, (laughs) and I was like, all right, you know, and for most people to make it to 11 and 12 is in, at least in our program is say rare but it's not that common it is it's a little rare rare it is <laughs> i know right? it's really kind of so there was a, a guy uh jimmy quite a long time ago i mean he's still around but i just remember a long time ago his he had a pretty big sponsorship family and his sponsorship family's belief was a step a month for the first year get people through and the theory was people who work the 12 steps have less chance of relapsing I don't know if that's fucking true or not. I have no (laughs) idea, right? I don't know if you can get the same thing out of 12 steps in one year that you'd get out of doing them in five. I don't know. I have no clue, right? But it was an interesting take on maybe enough people don't even get to 12 and we need to get them there. So it was was cool. Um, So the next person uh, on here was uh, Buddy Brian. I'm deciding I'm going to try something new and allow my higher power to work in my life by practicing obedience and submitting to his will his way thinking and actions. And I, I did respond to him that, uh, the whole obedience and submitting. So I I know, I know Brian, he's a, he's pretty strong in his Christian beliefs and I not knocking him at all for that. He's a super nice dude and a good guy. It just, when he said submitting and obedience, it almost made my skin crawl. Right. Cause I don't like the whole idea of submitting or being obedient or any of that. Um, and I, and I said something in my response about it being about a, you know, particular spiritual belief. And he said something else and I reread it and I'm like, all right, I could kind of see how it's not, you know, maybe it's just submitting to the program, being obedient to working spiritual principles. I, I don't know. It definitely, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I could see, 
I see some people online who talk about how everyone in their area of 12-step fellowship is all into one you know, religion or another and how they feel if they share anything that's different or contrary to that, they feel really judged and persecuted. And I could see if this is the kind of thing they're sharing, right? Not that there's anything wrong with it, but how it definitely feels like it's about one thing and it made me feel strange about it. Do you have a take on that? Yeah, so I immediately think of, you know, the idea um, that we come into recovery and we hear, you know, God and turning our will over to God. And so, you know, what I pictured in my mind at that point was like, you know, just sit on my hands and don't do anything bad and just try to be really good. And that Mm. my life will get better if I just be good all the time. And I've learned that that's far from true. Not that my life won't possibly get better in some areas, but that's not the purpose of this or the the idea behind it for me. Um, I had a sponsor explain to me one time the way I would interpret this is, you know, if you picture a pendulum and it swings all the way, you know, on one extreme side of that pendulum is God's will and the other extreme side is self-will. And throughout our recovery, you know, that pendulum will swing kind of back and forth. You know, we go from serving our will to serving God's will. And what we're really shooting for is right in the middle where our will is in alignment with God's will. And that what I want is the same thing as what God wants for me. So it's not that I want one thing, but God's will tells me to be good. So I don't get what I want. It's that I work on my spirit until my alignment is in line with, I mean, my will is in alignment with God's will. I like that. So it's not really so much about denying the things I want in life to do this other thing. It's more about learning to appreciate the value and the way I feel in doing these other things, right? And and, kind of, it comes back to the whole idea of uh, a life beyond my wildest dreams, right? When I walked in the door, I was still a pretty young man. And and I said, life beyond my wildest dreams, that's going to be yachts with half naked ladies and lots of money, right? That's my idea of partying and life beyond my wildest dreams. And then the concept of today, like, I believe my life is beyond my wildest dreams. And really the part that is beyond my wildest dreams is the fact that it's a pretty mundane family guy life. And I love it. That's the part that's crazy to me, right? The fact that it's nothing like what I thought it would look like. And I'm so in love with my life anyway. So uh, yeah, I I do. I do think it's more about, it's not about denying myself. If I had to live my life raising five kids and with my wife and feel like I was denying myself on a daily basis, I would be fucking miserable. Right. And that's just it. We, you know, we don't get in recovery to feel like we need to deny ourselves of things. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be financially successful in life. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with maybe you don't want to be, maybe you want to be some monk who gives away all their money and runs around and does charity for people. And, and that's fine too. Like that's, you know, for me, isn't the point of this isn't to become some spiritually enlightened person that lives on $3 a week and donates all my money to charity. Like that's not hey, what, you know, I live on $3 a week allowance <laughs> just about, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's to find what is, what is in my spirit, what is in, you know, inside of me and, and live in that best version of myself. Yeah, I don't want to spoil uh, April's step, but for sure, that is the beginning of the process of of what you're talking about right there. And I will (laughs) save more conversation about that until we get there. All right. So moving on to 
Amy. Amy says that her friend Ken used to say it's pushing all your poker chips to the center of the table and saying all in. Um, and I like this idea to some extent. Definitely. I had a buddy who used to say, I, I asked myself that on a daily basis. Am I all in on my recovery? Right. And, and the concept is good. I think I went to post something along these lines on social media and kind of realized I probably shouldn't put the visual of poker chips in case there's some gambling addicts that might be a really fucked up visual for them. Right. Uh, that's almost like posting a picture of a dude, like uh, with a girl, am I all in? Right. (laughs) It's like that could fuck up sex addicts. Uh, you know, maybe a needle being injected for drug addicts would be the wrong visual. Like anyway, (laughs) now that I've fucked everybody up today, uh, the point being, like you, you got to put trigger warning in right. <laughs> yeah, Trigger. That's funny. There was just that on uh, social media this morning. Um, but yeah, so trigger warning. Whoops, backwards. Uh, the, I do like the idea of like step three kind of is a, am I really committed? Am I yeah. really all in on this process of recovery? Like I've gotten here, right? We hear a lot of people that work the foundation one, two, three steps and then stop. Like, ah, oh, life's all right. I'm good here. But am I all in and committed to doing the rest of this process? Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. It's, yeah, making that decision of like, am I going to do this? Am I willing to do this? Am I ready to do this? You know? Right. And answering that, you know, if you complete that step, it's answering it with yes. And And so it's kind of tricky for me. So I kind of believe, even though we do work these steps formally, at least in our program, we we write them out and do things with them. I know that's not in every program. Um, But I kind of believe when we pick up step one, we have started one, two, and three already, right? Like in order for me to come to a meeting, accept that my way is not working anymore, maybe this process of the program can help me. Let me try it out by writing steps. That's like one, two, and three to me right there uh, in its most basic sense. So once I'm writing step one, I'm kind of already working step three in my life a little bit. Um, so I, I definitely think while we're formally doing it, yeah, that's great. But once I'm really committed to doing it at any point in time, and you know, we talked about, or maybe we didn't talk about the idea that this is a decision that needs to be made regularly, right? Yeah. Daily, maybe hourly, depending on what we're going through at the moment. Um, and so even though I can make that decision and start writing step one, what am I doing after I finish writing step three? Am I making this decision again to write step four, right? Or am I putting step four down and not picking it up ever again. Like then I'm making a different decision. And at any point in time I can make that different decision. Yeah. And like you say, it's a decision that, you know, we sometimes we don't just make it once and be done with it. You know, I have, I'm in a home group. I don't always feel like going to my home group every week. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Some days, you know, I have had service commitments that I don't want to go to. And it's, you know, that's where like, Oh, I made this decision to do this. I'm going to follow through on that decision. You know, it's not what I want to do, but I choose to not always, you know, at times I've made a decision to, "Ah, I'm just going to skip my home group and stay home tonight. I don't feel like it. Right. You know, so some days I'm not all in, you know, some days I'm not committed (laughs) to my recovery and, you know, it's, it's important to check, those motives and check that decision on a regular basis. No, absolutely. I, uh, I ask myself that question every Sunday night. Am I going <laughs> to my home group tonight? Right? Like, uh, I think that's a value in one being accountable to people. Like when they know, like I tell people, look, if I miss here, it's probably cause I'm bullshitting. Right. And so they can call me out on it. So they know that. So that makes me want to show up. 
There's also for me, get a commitment because that keeps me involved in showing up. There's a reason for it. Like right now, my commitment is to get speakers, but we only have speakers once a month. So I'm really only committed to the first Sunday of every month, uh, which thank God is tonight. So I don't have any excuse not to go. Um, But also, thankfully, like at this point in time, I make the decision pretty regularly to show up every Sunday, right? Does it happen that I don't every so often, every three months or something? Absolutely, it does. I'll get a, a wild hair up my ass, as they say, and and not go. And unfortunately, it doesn't ever make me feel better to not go. Right. right? So, And it's the same. We don't beat ourselves up over the decisions we made yesterday. Right. You know what I mean? We just move forward. It's about what can I do? What is my decision today? That's all that really matters, what my decision is today. It you know, is. I can say what I think my decision is going to be tomorrow or the next day, but what am I doing today? Am I showing up for my commitments? Am I committed to my recovery? Am I doing what I need to do? No, absolutely. Uh, and kind of one of the concepts I was going to bring up later, but it seems to fit here, just the whole next right thing idea, mm. right? And how this decision kind of, for me, applies to that a lot. Like, yeah, okay, say I skipped my home group last night because for whatever reason, I just wasn't feeling the decision to go. Well, all it takes for me to feel better today is a couple of next right decisions, right? To make the decision again, hey, you know what? I did miss that, but today we're going to get back on track with the next right things. And one or two of them in a row, and I just start to feel better immediately, right? I don't have to live in that guilt and shame and self-pity over the one you know, bad decision or a couple of bad decisions I made yesterday. Right. Uh, so back into Kevin. Kevin says, selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of our troubles. Driven by 100 forms of self-seeking. Only 100? I thought there was like 1,000, or at least. Uh, You're about to see all the truth in that when you start writing your fourth step. All right, slow down, Kevin. We're only talking about step three here today. (laughs) Um, But no, I I agree. Kind of going back to your pendulum idea, like a lot of, you know, selfishness, self-centeredness. The next few steps definitely tap into some of that and, and allow me to see it more clearly. But a lot of my life up until... The point of starting recovery and plenty of it after too, but a lot of it leading up to that was just what do I want to make me feel good right now? And I had very little thought about um, what comes after that or what happens after that. So this whole step was just a new concept to me of like, oh, there's other shit besides what I want right now in this moment. Right. Yeah. And I used to think, you know, if I wasn't giving in to that self will, that I wasn't being true to myself, Mm. you know, that I owed it to myself to go after and get the things that I wanted. Right. And that's the way that I lived. And I thought that was, you know, this is who I am. This is what I want. I owe it to myself to go try to get these things and indulge. Mm. And then this concept of, you know, a higher power and something greater than me and, you know, spirituality was introduced and I've you know, was beaten enough and willing enough to give it a shot. Right. (laughs) Fuck it. My shit ain't working. Yeah. My shit ain't working so good. (laughs) Uh, So then we talked to Rennie. Rennie said, I like the name Rennie, by the way. I I honestly have no idea if that's a guy or a girl. I didn't look into it, but Rennie's a cool name. I just thought it was Ronnie, honestly. Then that tells you that I'm getting old and need glasses. Uh, It says, we let go of trying to control everything with the realization that the universe works at its own pace. We begin to accept that all we can do is our honest best. And beyond that, holding on to things outside of our control, others, expectations, etc., will only hamper our growth and happiness. And this, I don't want to say sums up the third step, but it definitely hit home with a lot of my beliefs about the third step. Where it's 
sort of like we mentioned earlier, man, I just need to really let go of how things turn out, of what life is handing me, uh, maybe even buy into the, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade concept. I'm sure there's a whole lot of funny takes on that, but really the, the principle behind it of just, let me just work with what I'm given and what I got in front of me instead of constantly trying to fight it and make it something different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a line in our literature that says turning our will and our lives over to the care of our higher power provides a solution to the problems created by a life based in self-will resentment and control, Hmm. you know, and it's almost exactly what Rennie's saying there. It's like, as long as I try to, manipulate life into being what I want it to be and control outcomes and, and, you know, fulfill self-will. Um, I create more problems than I solve. At least that's my pattern. Maybe it's different for other people, but for me, that's the pattern. And until I can let go of that and trust that there is a, some power greater than me, maybe in the universe that, that is guiding life. And that, you know, if I just, show up and and be the best person that I can be that it's going to turn out better than me sticking my fingers in it and trying to make it some other way. Yeah, definitely. I think we we have a tendency to fight life. There's another quote in our literature that says, you know, in working this step, we are no longer fighting fear, anger, guilt, self-pity or depression. And I we're just kind of allowing things to be, even the things we necessarily have looked at as bad things before like oh i don't want to be guilty or feel angry or depressed or be scared well let's just let them be because that's what they are right i am fucking scared i am angry (coughs) excuse me i am depressed let me just allow myself to be that for a minute and i think there's a lot of one of the things i heard recently that kind of i don't want to say blew my mind but was definitely interesting to me and it kind of applies a lot to this third step is this if you are familiar with any math, uh, it's the concept of this math equation that suffering equals pain times resistance, hmm. right? And so we know that the idea of in math, if you multiply anything times one, it is only itself. And if you multiply anything times zero, it is zero, right? And so I think the idea of this is that pain will always exist in our life. It's just part of life, right? There's pain. Painful things happen. Things hurt. We're scared. We're angry. We're depressed. We're guilty. But the suffering comes, the actual true like misery of it all happens when that pain is multiplied by how much we fight it, how much resistance we have to allow it to be. So if I just feel pain and I literally have no resistance, there is literally no suffering to that. It is just pain. It's just just here. And then we move on, right? Can I get my resistance to zero? Probably not, right? But if I can get it every bit, I can get it lower. The less I'm multiplying at times pain, the less, the more I'm lessening my suffering. And I just think that's hugely powerful. And it almost like, to me, it just tied so well into the third step of like, just stop fighting fucking life, man. If I'm the leaf in the current, just go where the current takes me, right? Stop trying to push my way somewhere, swim upstream or fight against it. Yeah. And I heard a similar saying recently, a little more simplified. It was pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. (laughs) The same kind of thing. And it's, you know, uh, we're going to have pain in life. And I think I resisted that for a long time, maybe because I didn't have the right coping mechanisms growing up. You know, I didn't know how to deal with pain. I thought what you needed to do was avoid it or mask it or make it go away. And if I stayed high and numb to life, that 
I didn't have to feel that pain. Um, and that didn't work out so good because it definitely doesn't shield you from pain. You know, right, right. it just seems to, I don't want to, I don't know if prolong it's the right word because it does. I mean, it, you know, sort of the idea of ripping off the bandaid, you know, is it better to just rip it off and deal with it all at once or sort of do it slow and pay? Well, guess what? Sometimes I choose to pull the bandaid off very slowly and pull each individual hair out. And right. that small cuts are better than the one big gash. You know? <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, you know, trusting in the, the process of recovery or, or trusting in the process of a higher powers will, you know, takes some of that control away from me. Hmm. So one of the old analogies I remember hearing frequently when I was new uh, and definitely seemed to fit my life was that really up until this third step decision, my life was, uh, if you can envision a toddler with a little set with the square peg in their hand and a hammer trying to just bang it into the round <laughs> hole, right? Like that's what it felt like. I was always trying to force something that did not really fit into life into life. And it was just such a frustrating process. And then with the third step decision, I'm able to like, hey, the square peg goes in the square fucking hole. The round peg goes in the round hole. I might not like it, but when I accept it, I don't need to suffer anymore. I can just not like it and move on. Right. And so I just, I don't know. A lot of these were really, really interesting concepts. Uh, one of the last things we got off of Facebook was Deborah, who says, uh, you know, broke it down to a way we often hear it. Step one, I can't. Step two, God can. Step three, I'll let him. Right. Basically, is, is as easy as it gets. And I I do like the simplicity of it. I do like sometimes we need to keep it simple. We can pontificate on these wonderful yeah, ideas right. about everything and still not get any closer to being able to practice it. So, yeah. Hey, I can't. He can. Let me let him do it instead of me trying to do it. Seems yeah. pretty fitting. And even as I've grown in my recovery, you know, that step three decision is still, you know, pretty simple. Uh, my understandings of some of the principles has grown and my application in, of the principles in my life has grown and changed. But the basic idea is that I'm going to trust that, uh, you know, I'm going to make the decision that applying these spiritual principles in my life, you know, that outcome is going to be better than what I typically will do self-serving, self-seeking behaviors. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally with you there. Um, one of my, my final thoughts, I think, on step three is a story I usually tell when I share about a hike I took. So I hike, and it's not like any formal hike, and it's just on trails that have been established. I'm not out in the real wilderness or anything. Um, but we went out of state, my wife and I, and we were taking a hike, and we were in Wisconsin, and we showed up to this place to hike, and they had a sign up and said, hey, we got these kind of animals here, and one of them was a, a river otter or a sea otter. I don't even remember at this point. And I was like, that's pretty fucking cool, right? Not something I've ever seen on one of my hikes. Um, and so when I went on this hike, it was basically a, a large walk around uh, some sort of lake in the middle. And the lake was to the left. And then on the right was more wilderness type area. And so I'm walking around and I'm like, well, you know, river otters are going to be in the water. So I'm looking to the left the entire hike. And Five minutes in, I haven't seen a river otter. I'm bored out of my fucking mind, honestly, for looking at river otters because it's just water, like empty water. And I'm like, this is fucking stupid, right? Well, why am I like, I don't, what do I usually do when I'm hiking that makes me not bored? And I'm like, well, I'm not looking for river otters normally, right? <laughs> so let me stop looking at river otters and I'll look off to the right into the woods and I'll see some other animals like I usually do and enjoy myself. 
So I spend five minutes more walking and I'm looking to the right now and I don't really see any animals yet. And I'm like, ah, fuck. In my program, they always talk about don't give up five minutes before the miracle, right? I'm screwing up now. I just gave up. I'm going to see a river otter if I just hang on, right? So now I'm continuing to walk, pondering this idea. And I'm like, I don't know where the fuck to look now, right? As I'm thinking this, uh, there's like a little dragonfly that's really colorful. that flies right in front of me. And it catches my eye and I'm checking it out and it's blue and green and purple. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool to look at. But that's right in front of me, and that's not right or left. So now I'm all <laughs> fucked up, right? And we've talked about this idea before of, of I overcomplicate things. I'm like, I need to know the rightest right. So I'm like walking, and I'm like, where am I supposed to look? If the river otters are on the left, and what I normally do is on the right, and in the center is this dragonfly type stuff, What am I really? where am I really supposed to be looking? Where's my focus need to be? And through walking, I realized that my focus wasn't supposed to be on anything. <laughs> Right. I'm supposed to see whatever is presented to me, whatever catches my eye. And it blew my mind. Right. And I tried to do it for the rest of the hike. And it was really if you've never if you ever tried to walk and not look at anything or for anything, (laughs) it's fucking tough. Right. Constant reminder of stop focusing on this thing you want. But it really reminded me of my third step. And I was like, I go through life looking for particular things. And when I don't get them, I get frustrated and annoyed. I have a hard time going through life just looking for nothing and getting what I get. And the one thing that always stuck out was like picturing my kid being really cute in the checkout line while I'm trying to focus and concentrate and and be, you know, I want the checkout lady to think I'm super dad and like the best parent ever. So when my kid's doing something bad or trying to get a candy bar or something, it could be something that I could say, oh man, that's so cute. I'm going to remember that shit on my deathbed. He's adorable, right? But instead, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with my kid? Because I'm looking for this angel behavior. So when I'm looking for a particular behavior, that fucks my whole third step practice up, right? And I need to look for nothing. Yeah. And we tend to, I think what happens, at least for me, is that when I get locked into what I want, I get this tunnel vision. Like Mm. I can only focus on that. And I miss everything else, the the bigger picture, you know, because this is the thing that's going to make me happy. This is the thing that's going to give me fulfillment. This is the thing that's going to be the fucking best. And I miss the other miracles that are happening all around. Yes. Always missing the miracles when I'm looking for my particular desire. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that is this third step, you know, is is understanding like life is a miracle and it can be amazing and it can be fucking wonderful and it can be beyond your wildest dreams. But if all you're ever looking for is that next thing to get that next fix, then that's all it's ever going to be. Right. Right. I think that's a good summation of it. Uh, I don't have anything more to say on step three. Do you No, I think that's good. All right. Excellent. It's been a successful week. Go out and live your decision uh, and make it regularly to turn your will and your life over to the God of your understanding. Uh, And we'll see you next week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.